0: So as I was praying what to preach today and asking God what to preach today, you know what he spoke to me? Get your head up. What Joel just talked to you guys about a few minutes ago, lift your head up. Remember, recognize who you are in the Lord. And and me and Joel don't go around and call ahead of time and say, I'm going to say this, you say that. Uh, we didn't communicate at all. I think the communication we had today is, as you guys handle the service, so I'm going to stand in the back. I'll come up later on. And, and I've just been blown away on the message that's already been preached today. Uh, the Lord wants us believers to get their heads up today. If you're in here today and you're not a believer, uh, I can understand why your head may be down. But if you're in here today and you're a believer, we need to recognize and remember who we are in Jesus Christ, and, and get our heads up and recognize who we are. Uh, man, I realize we're going through difficult times, and, and I realize there's difficult times out there. But lift your head to the Lord. Uh, this song uh, Julie sang today, man, it just sealed the deal even more. If you you know, I thought somebody else had the special today. And when, and I was kind of looking around on that saying, oh, they're not here, Julie, who's doing this? And Julie steps up and sings this song, Remind Me Who I Am. Uh, that's by Lauren Dago, but I don't know the name of the song, but that was the words. Remind me who I am. Remind me that I'm loved. Remind me that I'm strong. Remind me that I'm held. Remind me that I'm yours. Lord, I believe, help me through this unbelief. And Lord, help me to press into you. Lord, help me get my head up. Man, that's the theme that the Lord has placed across this house today. Uh, it reminded me of a kid and I, you know, I didn't thank my mother for these things when I was a kid, believe me. But I thank my God for my mother and my father. They would never let me carry a low head. When my head was down, they'd say, get your head up. Whenever I'd be pouting around and moping around about something, get your head up. I'll even go a step further. She would whip my hind end when I got in trouble. And then as I walked away crying, she'd say, get your head up. You hold your head up high. And, And a lot of times we don't look at life that way. We don't realize who we are in Christ. Man, when she was faking me for something, she was trying to make me a better person. You get your head up. Sometimes we're going through difficult times for whatever reason. God's saying, get your head up. Remember who you are. Remember that, yes, I am loved. Remember that, yes, this is going on in my life. And that's one thing that I did press on with my kids. And and, and if you all know the truth, Joshua caught a little bit of heat about it. Uh, When Joshua wouldn't cry after ball games, his teammates would get mad at him. But if my kid ever cried after a ball game, he got in big trouble when he got home. You get your head up. You're a child of God. This is just a ball game. And I'm not saying if you balled a ball game, you're wrong. I'm just saying that get your head up. Get your head up. Realize that who you are and all that matters in this life is seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else is going to be added. Put God first in anything. remember who you are. Keep your head up and hold it up high. I'm aggravating myself a little bit if you look at the sermon notes I chickened out because uh, and, and had Norma put in there something a little bit different, but give it up. It's your head. Usually when our heads are down low, it's because we don't like what's going on in our lives or a situation in our life. In our reading just from Mark 3:27 this week, uh, I think you guys read it yesterday, but maybe it's today's. But, but no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his good unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder the house. The only way that Satan could come against you is by tying you up. You know, that's the only way he can come against a believer today. He doesn't have the power and authority to do it. Uh, later on, I'm going to talk about a stronghold that, that, that the Lord is telling me is on the land, and I can't put my finger on what that stronghold is, because I can name three or four, and I was talking to Jim about it. He goes, I don't care. We got authority over all of them. And I agree with that. We have authority over the strong man in any situation in our house. But why do we let him tie us up? What are the things that that we do or or allow to happen to bind our hands up? What zaps your will? And and a lot of times if we look at what takes it out of us, we would see real quick on on what we allow the strong man to take from us. Because usually it's a thing that wears you out. But as I was thinking about this this week, I thought of the first thing, you know, maybe it's sin problems. When we allow sin problems into our life, you know, Satan will come in and he'll bind us up because we're in condemnation. Oh, I've got this sin in my life. I can't live for God. I'm a worthless, no good, blah, blah, blah. So I'm bound up. I can't be who, where God wants me to be. Another one I thought about is health problems. A lot of times that, that if we don't hear from the doctor, from his mouth, what, what we want to hear, it'll bind us up. And we'll say, oh, God, where are you at? Father, where are you at in my life? And and it binds us up and allows that strong man to come into our house. It may be other things such as work problems or church problems or marriage problems. It may be children problems. But but guys, Jesus said a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. So when our families aren't going good and, and we're not doing things the way we need to be doing with our wife or our husband or whatever, it begins to bind us up. It begins to tie us up. It may be financial problems. It may even be government problems. And Jesus said about the government in our reading in Mark three twenty four, a kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. So Satan can only bind us up when he is stronger than we are. So when we allow these situations to go on during our life and allow these moments to come in and weaken us down, that's what ties us up. And we need to break free from these things and say, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I don't think we get it sometimes. And again, I'm talking to the believers today. But Satan only has the power in our lives that we allow him to have. Do you get that? Satan only has the power in our lives that we allow him to have. And I'm speaking to the believer, because if you're an unbeliever in here today, you're not a Christian, you can't stand on what I'm talking about. It may work some, because God's principles are so cool and they work, but I remember of a story in Bible college that I would never forget when a pastor was trying to explain this to us and, and trying to show us this, and he said to us there was a missionary, and this is a true story, but I don't remember, you guys keep in mind, I was in college 25 or 30 years ago now. Isn't that a while? Yeah, isn't that scary? But but I tell you it, I don't remember where it was. I think it was in Africa, but but this missionary had gone in there and this tribe was doing all these crazy things, and, and Dave talked to you about it last week, some things he experienced over there in Liberia. But I, that this, this chief was doing all these crazy things. People were cutting themselves. People were were spitting and feuding, and all these wicked things were going on. And then these witches come out, these doctors, the witch doctors come out, or, and they began to raise this body up, and this body was hovering. And it's hovering there and the tribes are going crazy then, and this missionary standing there watching all this and the and the the, the or the king of the tribe or whatever comes over, the, the chief comes over to him and says, What you got here, brother? What are you gonna do? And all the guy did, he didn't know what to do if you don't know the truth, but he just said, Jesus, and it went Poof, and it hit the ground. Their whole party stopped just because he called out Jesus' name. the the, what happens in our life happens a lot of times because we allow it and if we don't want it in our life begin to speak jesus over our life and come against it by the word and by prayer and we do that man our altar teams were full this morning with people coming against things in their life in word and prayer they're not having him in their house satan's not going to be in their house the strong man's not going to be in the house The word of God says, what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And we've been binding and loosing today. Then it goes on to say that that we're two or more together. I'm with them and I'm working in these things. But we need to realize that we can't give ground in any way. We can't allow Satan to have a stronghold into our life. The scripture says today, if we don't like it, we don't like these strongholds that are in our life, then maybe we need to humble ourselves. And that's what James 4, 7 says, is to humble yourselves. If you're reading the King James or the ESV or some others, it's going to say, submit yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And so if we humble ourselves and say, God... Uh, humble means having or showing a modest or low esteem of oneself. So we're saying, God, I realize I need you. I can't do this without you. And we have the confidence. The confidence is the belief that one can rely trust on someone or something and affirm trust in them. So, Jesus, I, I realize I need you. You're my confidence. You're my all. You're everything that I need. And we began to move out and Jesus begins to change our life. Submit yourself, therefore, into God. Resist the devil and he flees. It isn't his, he's going to flee, it, he has to flee. He doesn't have a choice when Jesus comes on the scene. Just like the day that that priest has, it was in relationship with God, his confidence was in God, and he saw all this going on he's like, Lord, this is freaking me out. But he said, Jesus, and that's all he needed to do. That's all he needed to do because he was confidence was in the Lord. When I try to think of an example about this, I, I think of the Lamar football boys. They, they have the largest winning streak. I believe it's 56 now, and they're leading in the nation. And and and, and guys, there's lots of things that I think attribute to this. but But a lot of it is confidence. And who they are, confidence in their coach, and, and guys, you, if you have those two things, you can go so far. If you have confidence in yourself through Jesus Christ and confidence in Him, you can go all the way. But but these kids know that if Coach Bailey says it and they do it, that it's probably going to work. They know that if the playbook says it and they follow the playbook, they're going to win in the end. They'll go into games that they shouldn't win now, and they win some of these games because they believe in what they are. Uh, Guys, if you watch some of the teams that come in to play Lamar, man, they're beat before they even hit the court. They have no confidence. They have no self-esteem. They walk in there with their heads down. and, and, And one that stood out to me this year was Monette. Monette, I thought, would handle, or not handle, but would play with us this year a little bit. But they were beat before they even walked on the court. And that's what happens so many times is we don't realize who we are in Jesus Christ. And we're whipped before it even starts, before the process has even begun. And we need to realize who we are. We need to realize that the Bible says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And that's something that I've never forgot. I remember as a kid over in the old basement, we were singing, and I don't know, Doug, we were probably 10 or 12, but but Rick, Doug, and a bunch of us were over there singing and praising God, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And we're singing that, the courses and the verses and all that. You know, I can't remember who the teachers were. I can't remember very much other than a few people were there, but I remember the word. And man, that's all that matters. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, 1 John 4, 4. We need to mem- remember that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is, that hangs on a tree. So earlier we were talking about sin problems, this problem, that problem. Christ took care of it all on the tree. Christ paid for it on the cross and we don't have to worry about it no more. We can press into him and realize who we are. Man, we all sit in here and say, we believe that he's forgiven us of our sins. We believe that, that he has set us free and that we can live for him. We believe that we have eternal life with him. But do we believe that he can heal us? But do we believe he can deliver us? Do we believe that he can help us through this problem, through this situation, through whatever this stronghold is that against our life? You know, we think our lights are dependable, but they're not. <laughs> huh? It was getting your attention more than me, but you know what? Jesus is dependable anytime. That's right. And he's not going to quit on us anytime. He's going to be there forever. Man, did you like what brother Dave preached last week? Would you be a Christian if you had no light? Would you be a Christian if you only ate once a week? Would you be a Christian if you only had food once a day? Would you be a Christian if if your whole family died because of Ebola? Would you be a Christian if, if, if everybody in your family was shot during the Civil War? Would you be a believer? Wow, that was pretty heavy last week. But it makes you think, doesn't it? When Satan tries to bind your marriage, your children's relationship, know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keeps his commandments to a thousand generations. Man, I keep using that at weddings because husbands and wife, we really need to realize that we're not alone, that Christ is with us. And when we serve him and, and love him again, seeking first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness, when we're steadfast at love and obeying his commands, he's going to be with us the whole time to the thousandth generation. And it gets into what Dave was talking about last week. He believes God's faithful to America because of what our forefathers did generations ago. We need to be faithful because God is in covenant with us and he's going to be with us through all of this. In our marriages, in our children, and anything that we're going through. When Satan tries to destroy our government, I don't even need to get into that. Jim's already been preaching that today. First Timothy 2 is the same thing I wanted to share. But we need to be lifting our government in prayer. We need to be lifting our, our leaders in prayer and standing with them because that's what God has called us to do. And then our famous scripture that we stand on for everything, but really, probably not when we really need to stand on it, but I can do all things through Christ Jesus who gives me strength. And we'll believe that for anything we want. But when tragedies hit us, we need to be confessing that scripture. Paul talked about, I know what it is to go without food. Man, I know what it is to be cold and wet and not have a house over my head. Paul was talking about everything that Dave was sharing last week, in, Luke, or in, in Philippians 4 ahead of that. But then he goes on to say, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who gives me strength. So it didn't matter what the world threw at him. He knew that Jesus would be with him if he kept him first in his life. So why are our heads held down? Uh, why are our heads down as a nation? And, and again, I believe this is is so true today, and the Lord's confirmed it through Joel, through Julie, through Jim, and then through the words he's given me today. But why is our heads down as believers? Our heads need to be up high. But the Lord shared me this scripture out of James 4, 2. And he said to me, this is probably the main reason. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires that war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war and take away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. So I say to you today, what is your it? You know, we we desire it. And we kill and devour and, and tear up and slander and everything we can do to get it when Jesus is saying, Hey bud, you just need to ask me for it. Uh, when are we gonna start asking me? God is saying. When are you gonna start coming to me, Kent? When are you gonna start coming to me, church, instead of trying to do with these deal with these things yourself? But even from the beginning, the Lord added this scripture in. I thank God for our sound booth because they get things and make me look better. But but the Lord added this scripture out of uh, Genesis today. And I know they've got it for you. But Genesis 4, uh, 6 through 8. But I'm going to start in verse 5. But it says "...when it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of the crops as a gift to the Lord." In other words, Cain came to the Lord half-hearted. Selfishness, if you want to know the truth, maybe could go in there. And also brought a gift, or Abel also brought a gift, the best portion of the first fruit lambs from his flock. So we got Cain given half-hearted, spending half the time or half the efforts towards God. And then we got Abel over here giving the best and everything he can to God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, And it goes on to say, the Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not not accept Cain and his gift. And this is where I wanted to pick up today. Cain couldn't get it. He didn't put any effort out to it. He didn't really ask God for it. He half-heartedly messed with God on the deal. And then he was upset because it didn't work out the way it was supposed to. And he's angry and he's upset and God comes to him and he says, He says, "Uh, why are you angry? And angry here means annoyed, displeased, and dispirited. His head was down. His eyes weren't on the Lord. And the Lord asked this to Cain. And he goes, why do you look so dejected? Dejected means here sad, depressed, dispirited. So, man, this guy is down and out. His head is down. He's not seeing the Lord. He can't see anything before him. And God says this to him, will you be accepted if you do what is right? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Because sin is crouching at your door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it, meaning overcome it and be its master. Then we know the story that Cain couldn't, couldn't do it. He couldn't follow the Lord and do it the Lord's way. And so we know he went out and he killed Abel. But the point I wanted to make here today is like Cain, he was accepted by God. God said it, you are accepted by me. Yeah, you gave me half-heartedness. Abel gave me hardness. I I rejected his gift or your gift. I I accepted his, but he said, we're still good. I accept you. I love you. I'm with you. But that wasn't good enough for Cain. He didn't want it. And so many times as Christians, we don't realize that as believers, man, we have all the promises of God. We have all the things of God. Everything is laid out before us. Christ has given it all up for us. He can do no more because it is finished in his own words. But we forget it. And our heads are down, but I believe our heads are down like Cain so many times because we're half-hearted in our relationship with him. We're, we're half-hearted in our offering with him. We're half-hearted in our prayer time. We're half-hearted in all these things, and, and it gets our head down and, and gets us away from him. When Christ said, man, I just kept you the whole time. I've loved you the whole time. Man, I demonstrated my love for you that while you're yet sinners, I sent Christ to die for you. I'm going to move into uh, the big picture here. I believe the USA is declining fast because we have opened the door to these strongholds of selfishness, fear, we've heard that today, slander, quarreling, bickering, And we become half-hearted as a nation. I'm not going to pin that on Oakton. But I want you to look at yourself today. if we don't have it meaning our boss, that we doesn't treat me right or whatever, so we do everything possible to, to slander him, to kill him, to bring him down. Instead of just praying for him, if we don't like that teacher, man, she's not treating my kids right, man. We just morally tear them up and say that that person's a bad person, and we tear them down to the point that we hope they get fired, just because we don't like the way they're treating our kid. Instead of praying to God for the teacher for the kid if we don't like it meaning being a coach man we morally kill them man yesterday I think I I tried to hit every younger kids ball game that I could yesterday in football and I started in Jasper and finished in Lamar and I hit several games you know what I got out of the day praise God I don't have to coach anymore That's what I took home from that. Praise God I don't have to coach anymore. Because if people don't like it, they morally rip you to pieces. They say you don't know how to coach. You don't know how to be a boss. You don't know how to be a teacher. You don't know how to be a pastor. You don't know how to be this, be that. They rip you to pieces because of what's going on in their life. I and mean, half the time it has nothing to do with you. We see it in the, in the politicians, and in, in, in this last week we have seen it bigger than ever with Judge Kavanaugh. And praise God that Judge Kavanaugh is in office. Amen? Amen. If we don't like a politician, we morally kill them. Nancy Pelosi compared him to Kim Jong-un, whatever his name is in North Korea. (laughs) Isn't that horrible? Man, instead of going to God and praying for it, man, we tear him to pieces. Man, we rip the guy's heart out. Man, if, if you judged me on what I did 40 years ago, you would fire me. If you looked at my life today, you would fire me for the same things you do. Man, if we want to pick it apart, we can pick it apart on anybody. If we want to pick it apart, we can pick it apart on anything. The Christ said through his brother James, why didn't we pray about it? You know, Jesus went through this a little bit. In John 8, 3, and a lot of us don't realize that, but but the issue before us today, even with Judge Kavanaugh, wasn't the issue. He wasn't the issue. There was a lot of other things that were the issue. But even Jesus went through that, and, and, and again, let's go over to John chapter 8. And as he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law... And the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman is caught in adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? Jesus thought, it has nothing to do with her. They're trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust, With his finger, they kept uh, demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accuser heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them... Did one of them stand against, let me back up here, I lost my place. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The reason I'm butchering that is I want us to get this today. And and I'm trying to think ahead and bring this together. And I'm not trusting the spirit like I should have. But what Jesus was seeing here is they brought a woman to him. And they were bringing up the law. They were bringing up this. They were bringing up that. And Jesus knew inside that the only thing they were after was him. They were after Jesus. And he realized that. They weren't after this woman, but they were willing to throw this woman under the bus. They were after Jesus. They weren't after this woman, but they were willing to stone this woman because they are after Jesus. And that's when Jesus said down, and he wrote in the ground and, and, and then he said to him, He was without sin, cast the first stone. Jesus didn't fight back, he didn't slander them, he didn't demeter them, he didn't do anything in his power just to rip them to pieces. He just simply said he was without sin cast the first stone and they walked away. He didn't have to have dirty tactics. He just needed the power of God on his side. And then he turned to the lady and he had no problem with her. He just said, where's your accusers? And she said they had left. He said, just go and sin no more. As we back back and visit what I was talking about a minute ago, we've seen this in our country. If they don't like something, they destroy it. It was obvious the Democrats cared nothing about uh, Judge Kavanaugh. They were after him. They were trying to, to bring him down. It was obvious that they used uh, this Christine Ford and did everything in their power to bring, to bring that to face and to life when they could care less about her. They were just after, I think, God without even realizing it. It wasn't Kavanaugh that they were after, and I'm building in something here. Bear with me, and because I see in my spirit. Oh, here you're saying the Democrats are evil? No, I'm not. I'm saying that all men are evil if their eyes aren't on Jesus. Because if you look, the Republicans do the same thing. Whenever they get upset and don't like something, they tear down. They rip. They slander uh, uh, crooked Hillary. Uh, you can go into things that they do. You know, this Senator Booker Spartagus. I even laughed at that. You know, he thinks he's Spartacus, They're ripping him up. They're ripping up this Ellison that has domestic charges against him. They're bringing up his past. They're doing everything they can. But the real issue is 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 morally what they believe. It's the moral issue of this whole story is is that that I think it is is between good and evil. That everything that goes on is between good and evil. And we as believers need to pick and know the, the side that is of the Bible and the side that is prayerful and the side that is following God. And that's the side that we need to be coming behind, whether it's Democrat or Republicans. We need to get our heads up. And ask God for advice in all things. We need to say that prayer that they took out of school. Almighty God, we acknowledge our dependence upon thee. And we beg thy blessings upon us. Our parents, our teachers, and our country. That was a prayer that they took out of schools. We need to press into him, into God, into the things of God. And allow him to move upon our life. But today I've been beating around the, this real issue, I believe today, that was before our country was Roe versus Wade. I believe what was behind this was uh, the marriage of what, between a man and a woman. We see the very first thing after Judge Kavanaugh was elected into office that Democrat Chris Murphy said, when a year from now Brett Kavanaugh writes... The decision to overthrow Road versus Wade, it's going to be pretty embarrassing when Brett Kavanaugh is a deciding vote to, to criminalize abortion. So we see right off the bat the issue was abortion. The issue was the, the moral things that were before us. But the thing and the reason I praise God for a brother, or for the, this Kavanaugh, Judge Kavanaugh, is do you realize the Center for Disease Control? started monitoring abortions in 1970. There have been 151,389 abortions in, in, in these 44 years. Do you guys realize that 44,151,389 babies have been, have been murdered, if you will, since Roe v. Wade? And that's the recorded ones. I had some people check me up on this the first service they came back and said pastor some of those numbers were up into 60 million 60 million and i just said well this is where i got it at cdc from from 70 to 2014 again the real issue is good versus evil the real issue is morality biblical principles we're not Democrats, we're not Republicans, we're not Independents. We're Bible-believing people, and we're going to vote according to the Bible. And that's what we need to be about. And I've been stumbling all over this today trying to present it, but that's what we need to be about. Bible believers standing on what God has taught us, what God has done for us. In other words, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and everything's going to work out. We're going to be able to hold our heads up high. But we haven't done that as a nation. We haven't stood strong like we could. And, and again, behind me, I don't know if you guys have realized, but do you see this picture here? Do you realize what the thing is in the front? Does anybody know what that is? That's the altar of Baal. And that was, that was put forth. And, it's a, and again, it's the Institute for Digital Archaeology. They're running that throughout the United States. And I did a fact check because uh, I actually went to fact check. And they said, yes, this is true. This was set up. Go ahead to the next slide, I think. This was set up on September the 26th and runs through September the 29th. When you read the facts check, the the secular side, they said, yeah, this did happen. This did go right before the Brett Kavanaugh hearing and and the uh, Professor Ford hearing. Yes, it did go before that. But it was just coincidence. And I don't believe in coincidence. But guys, this is the real issue. And do we realize what Baal worship is about? And that's the thing that really threw me on this whole deal. Even And they may not have, this company I was telling you about, the, these archaeologists, they may not have had a clue to what's going on. But Satan and the strong man does. And what Baal and these things stand for... Uh, this is one Christian group that wrote this. Just one day after the arch was put up, Brett Kavanaugh and Christy Ford testified before Congress. Perhaps this is all just a great, great coincidence, but things of importance usually don't happen by accident. Matt Barber wrote an article on his blog about Bell and what Bell was about. Bell is a, a ritualistic worship. Uh, to sum it up, it looks like this. Adults would gather around the altar of Baal. Infants then would be burned alive as a sacrificial offering to the deity. Amid horrific screams and the stench of charred human flesh, congregants, men and women alike, would engage in bisexual orgies. The ritual of convenience was intended to produce economic prosperity by prompting Bell to bring rain for the fertility of the Mother Earth. The natural consequences of such behavior—pregnancy and childbirth—and the associated financial burdens of unplanned parenthood were easily offset. One could either choose to engage in homosexual conduct, or with child sacrifice available on demand, could you simply take part in another fertility? You, you could simply take part in another fertility ceremony to terminate the unwanted child. Modern liberalism deviates little from its ancient predecessors while in, uh, in these crazy rituals. But anyhow, I'm going to stop there. But it's, not a, it's just too much of a coincidence for me that, that during this time, everything that Bell stands for is everything that, that the unbelievers want out. And again, I don't want to to tag it Democrats or Republicans. But unbelievers want the things of God out. Believers want the things of God in. I believe Brett Kavanaugh will keep the things of God here because our country was formed on the things of God and he's going to support the Constitution. That's why I like him. Because I believe he is going to protect marriage. I believe he is going to protect the the rights of babies. I believe that he's going to save us from this horrendous murders that we do by killing these babies as a nation. God detested Baal in the Old Testament. In comparisons, we've done twice as much as they did in the Bible on these things. I believe we opened a door for a strong man. And we need to close that door. And again, I, I've been praying, the Lord showed me that strong man. And the Lord just keeps saying, Pray against Satan. But I think it's selfishness. We don't have what we want, we don't get it, so we devour, we slander, we kill, we murder. I think that's what's happened to our nation is we become selfish. And we need to be careful of that. And now I'm going to spin it back about how we should respond and how we should act as Christians. Jesus said to love your neighbour as yourself. Really, Jesus only asked us two things to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. Second thing is love neighbors and yourself. Jesus didn't condemn the woman. He loved the sinner and he hated the sin. He said, Go and sin no more. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Again, Jesus God hates sin and loved the sinner. Christ came for us. So I'm going to read out of this last scripture and I'm going to close with this today. But Galatians 6, 1 through 10 tells us to handle how to handle ourselves in these times? How the, the Democrats and Republicans and the Independents should be handling themselves? How the Bible believing people how they should be handling themselves? The Bible says in Galatians one, dear brothers and sisters. And again, you're not going to have the scripture up. You're just going to have uh, things I believe the Lord's asking us to do through uh, the Apostle Paul. But dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Didn't say tear him down. Man, I don't even care how pathetic your coach is. It, it doesn't tell you to rip their heart out and hand it to him. Your your goal for your coach is to save him. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you're not, if you think you are too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You are not that important. And again, guys, that's where we back up on James 4, 7. I think that we carry an error sometimes that we think we're all that. And, And the Bible says to resist the devil, it says submit yourself therefore to God first. Submit meaning not thinking you're all that not thinking that you got it up over everybody else you're better than everybody you're humble and and, and paul's addressing that here again today we had a couple here a couple of weeks ago that said that we were the first church that didn't run them out of the door because of all the tattoos they had on their body and i said churches literally ran you out and he said no they didn't physically run us out but they had nothing to do with us you're the first church that had anything to do with us because of the way we looked. We come in with this pious act or we can't come in with this. We're holier than thou or we're better than you. And that's what Paul's striking down right now. If you think you got all of it, you think you're important, man, you need to relook at things. You need to be humble before the Lord. Pay careful attention to your own work. For then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. That That would take care of everything we're talking about today. If we don't have it, we throw a fit, we complain, we tear down, we beat up. Maybe we look on ourselves and work on our own selves. Even to the point, well, I don't like the way they treat me. Who cares? You treat them the way you want to be treated. You work on you. Don't compare yourselves to other people. Uh, I don't I think it was Dolly shared with me. She went to a deal the other day that, that a guy was comparing himself to this big time evangelist and he wanted to be him and God rebuked him. He said, I got bigger things for you. Don't compare yourself to other people. You be who God's called you to be and you stand up for that person and don't neglect that gift. It goes on in verse five as for we are each responsible for our own conduct. Those who are taught the word of God to provide their teachers, uh, sharing all good things with them. Do not be mislaid. You cannot mock the justice of God. You always harvest what you plant. And so again, guys, what goes around comes around. Uh, those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from their sinful nature. So if you're out slandering, tearing down, I want this, I want that, not praying about it, handled everything in the flesh... That's what you're going to get is flesh. But if you handle things in the word and the things of God, then you're going to get God. So those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the spirit will harvest everlasting life life from that spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will all reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. We need to be especially good to each other here in this house. We need to look out for each other, build each other up in the things of God. This is the word I believe the Lord told me to give you guys today. If you're here today and you haven't accepted Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, I challenge you to do that. But I want us to take a look at our own life because as Paul said in his own words here today, look at yourself. It's so many times we like to point the finger at everybody else and blame everybody else for our problems and everything that's going on in our life and we need to look at ourselves. I want you to remember these words and I'm going to read two scriptures and then these altars will be open for anybody that wants prayer. But you want what you don't have so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Paul says in Ephesians 4.1, Therefore our prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God, always be humble and gentle, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. You ever hear that for making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourself together with peace, for there is one body, one spirit, just yet being called to one glorious hope for the future. How many want to live a life of their head up? And seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added. The altars are open here. If you want prayer for anything today, come up here and I'll be glad to pray with you.